Welcome to God Yay or Nay. I'm your host, Noor Kidwai. I'm here to find out how we grow, transform, and become our best selves. How we create meaning in our lives. Come join me on my journey. Welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. This is your host, Noor Kidwai. Thanks for tuning in. My guest this week is Dylan Roots. Dylan is a masculinity coach. We have an awesome conversation about masculinity, how it's looked at in our culture, and the healthy ways to express it. I hope you guys enjoy. Please check me out on Instagram, at Noor Kidwai. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And we're part of the Comedy Here Often podcast network on 604 Records. So check them out, too. Let's get into this week's episode, everybody. My guest this week, Dylan Roos. Hey, welcome to another episode of God Yay or Nay. Today I'm here with my man, Dylan Roos. Dylan, thanks for joining me, bro. Thank you, brother. Excited to be here. Yeah, man. Uh, I'm excited to have you on, too. Um, yeah, you, you're, I guess you call yourself a masculinity coach. And uh, honestly, I've started to like uh, talk with a lot of people in this kind of men's wor- uh, work feel that it's really cool and uh yeah it's honestly it's been very helpful to me so just to have somebody like you on is uh really good for my podcast um do you want to maybe tell us like a little bit like what do you kind of see a masculinity coach like what that is tell my audience Mm. yeah yeah definitely i mean the work that i do is predominantly with men uh and now it's predominantly with young men so aged 14 years and up in that period of life where there's not a lot of guidance anymore. There's not a lot of uh, direction in what I believe to be the most important question for young people and for men is, well, what does it mean to be a man? And we kind of leave our young men to fend for themselves a little bit and figure it out for themselves. And unconsciously they're looking to their fathers um, they're looking to the men in their lives. And so unconsciously they're picking up on these cues. However, we for hundreds of years used to have these rites of passage, these initiation processes that every culture across the globe, which were separated from each other, no contact, all developed these similar rites of passages for boys because they realized it's so important to get around teenagers, adolescent young men and take them through a process so that they can step out of boyhood and into manhood. Mm -hmm. And so me and my work and where I'm going to be driving my work more towards is more this rites of passage programmed, but really just about, as I, as you mentioned, the masculinity coaching is, all right, how can we put in place healthy models of masculinity? How can we have you define what masculinity is? And then let's examine how you define it and let's see where you got these belief systems from and let's see what's healthy. Let's see what's not healthy. Yeah, I love that. And uh, you mentioned a lot there. And like, there's a bunch of different directions I can go. But uh, let's start. uh, I love how you said rites of passage, because honestly, I think that's like the coolest thing. I started studying that a little bit in the last few years and realizing all the different cultures, how they would like, they'll, yeah, they'll give like boys certain things they have to do to like prove their manhood or at least make Mm. that passage into manhood, which is a really cool thing that I kind of wish we had a little bit of still. Um, so what's, why don't you tell my audience then, like what's a healthy rite of passage and like what mm. what is this rite of passage supposed to develop inside the boy? Yeah. Well, it, it's supposed to 
essentially take the boy through some sort of death, some sort of either ego death or the death of the boy. And we're seeing the result of not having these rights at the moment. And it's resulting in a lot of uh, men children, right? Oh. The man child is on the rise massively in today's society, which is these <clears throat> these boys in male meat suits, I call them, you know, they look like men, but they don't necessarily act like men and they don't behave in uh, in alignment with what I'd call the male psychology. They're still stuck in boy psychology, right? And so these rites of passage were designed to take boys through trials. So first of all, separation from the community. So separate from the community. And a big part of that was separation from the mother. Mm -hmm. And then it was some sort of initiation process. And in that was trials, obstacles, challenges. And a big part of that was because they recognized that manhood is difficult. Being a man is a hard thing to be. And so you need to prove yourself worthy of this title of man because it is a hard thing to be. And so that was the reason behind the trials. But also for women, they have their natural um, stages into womanhood. It just naturally happens, which is through through getting their period, their menstruation. That is kind of their rites of passage into womanhood is this, um, is this menstruation. And so back in the day, a lot of what the cultures created was what was called bloodletting. So they would have somewhere in their their trials, the boy would need to face blood, whether they would, um, I think I was reading, I was reading, and I'm not saying that this is what we need to revert back to <laughs> by any means, but one African culture would stick, <clears throat> um, stick like long pieces of grass up the boy's noses multiple, multiple times until it was bleeding. Mm. And this, they did this because, for a couple of reasons. One, to get used to the pain, but two, to get used to seeing blood because especially back then, right, as a man, you had to go and hunt. You had to see blood. It was dangerous. You had to get accustomed to being around blood. Um, and women had that initiation already, right? They they bled once a month. And so the men, they realized we need to create structures in place for these boys. Now, how does that relate to modern society? Right? What does it look like to, to um, address your original question? What does it look like in modern society? Well, first of all, there are programs out there now, right? Like there are programs out there that are rites of passage and I and I recommend people look them up if they're looking for it. But to do it, um, if, you, if you're looking to do some sort of rites of passage for yourself or for your son or for the men in your life or just to get out there and because- and, for me, I realized I hadn't gone through a rite of passage. I was like, well, how, how do I know I'm a man? What makes me a man? Like these were the same questions that I was asking myself as well. So things in the modern era look like fasting, you know, go out camping for two days, don't eat, don't drink. That's probably not going to kill you and you're probably going to come out fine after a day of fasting or a day and a half of fasting, right? And so you can go and put yourself in difficult situations without necessarily... um really endangering yourself or endangering your sons, mm. right? Um, I, I was reading up on another culture. What they would do is they would put their sons on the top of these mountains and leave them there for the night. <clears throat> but what the men of the tribe would do was they would howl at the bottom. So the boy would think, oh, my God, there's all these wolves. Holy shit. So it was like this, oh, I'm in danger. But really it was the men of the tribe making sure he was okay whilst putting them through a, a trial, which was you're on a mountaintop by yourself for a night, fend for yourself. There's all these wolves. 
in reality, it was just the men howling, trying to take him through that process. So you can create these areas of danger, of of uh, hardship, whilst not actually putting them in any real danger. I love that, man. And uh, yeah, like uh, like you said, uh, we probably don't have to like go back to the movie 300 where no. you can't toss the kid out in the woods. Have toss a toss the baby <laughs> off the cliff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we don't need to go back that far. But it, it's no, true, no. Like, when you take away these, these kind of rituals that have been part of human development for so long, and we've kind of just scrapped them all in like the last maybe 100 years, it's, yeah, it is really kind of weird how that does change like the psychology of a whole society. And mm. uh, you were talking about boy psychology and man psychology. So maybe um, let's yeah, let's di- differentiate between those two things. Yeah. So I think it was I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Carl Jung who kind of started this archetype work and looking into the collective unconscious and the collective unconscious is is essentially this idea that we all have an operating system, right? All men have this built-in operating system. And and I kind of think of it as like, well, we're still animals. And so we look at other animals and we go, what well, how does the how does the turtle when it's born just know to instinctively go from the beach into the water? How, like what's that? So we're animals too. So we have these instincts built inside of us into our psyches of like, okay we have some uh, operating system that we all operate off of this baseline. And those are what are called the archetypes. Mm-hmm. And for men, it's the king, warrior, lover, magician. They're the four main archetypes. It, it has been broken down into more. And I think there's, I think some people have broken it down into like 16 or 17, but mm-hmm. I like to just operate with the, with the big four, king, warrior, lover, magician. And so these four main uh, archetypes show up in boy psychology and in man psychology. So my program prints to King, right? So I actually do a little bit of work in my program with men as young as 14 on the King archetype and what that looks like. And so if you think of it as like a, a pyramid, you've got the clean uh, energy of, of the King. So how we would like to show up in this archetype, like the positive way, the healthy way of showing up in that archetype. Mm-hmm. And then you've got two, um, two, shadow poles and you've got the active pole and you've got the inactive pole and for the king archetype you've got uh the tyrant king and the weakling king they're the two uh inactive or sorry those are the two shadow poles to that archetype and so and then similarly you've got the the prince you've got the hell uh the um the healthy prince but that's not i think it's called the divine child Mm -hmm. um and then you've got uh the high chair the high chair tyrant and uh and the weak the weakling prince maybe as well um so and that's the boy psychology and the man psychology and what the rites of passage would do or what the rites of initiation would do or what we should be trying to do as men as leaders as young men growing up into uh, young people growing up into uh young men is we need to be integrating our boy psychology and integrating that into man psychology and leveling it up. So it's not necessarily like I need to destroy everything. It's like, okay, I need to integrate that into my adult world. And doing that takes difficulty, right? And and to give you some more practical examples of what I took myself through and what I was going through, right, is um, just recently 
me and my partner gave birth to my son just in the last two weeks and over the past not thank you very much and and over the past you know nine ten months i really had to come face to face with like oh wow i've been a boy for 27 years Mm. and now i'm being called through what i would call my own initiation process into fatherhood i'm being called now to step up as a man oh fuck okay what does that look like and so the boy psychology is at least in part and at least in relation to what i went through and i'll speak to that was like what does it mean to be a man okay i need to make money okay i need to sleep with girls when i was younger when i was growing up it was like i'm i'm really good at sports so that makes me a man these kind of shallow ideas on masculinity and what it means to be a man. And they're deeply, deeply ingrained into our psyches, even in the man psychology where, where we think that I, I need to do these things in order to be the man. It's just not the case. And so coming to terms with that and going, wow, I've, I've been a boy for 27 years and now I'm being called to step up as a man. What does that look like? What well, looks like leading myself in a healthy way first leading myself so what does that mean how's my routine how's my exercise how's my diet how's my meditation practice how's my journaling how's the inter- how's my internal world and how am i showing up leading and taking responsibility for myself 100 percent mm. and then from there am i and then then from there am i able to lead my household lead my relationship because i'm really solid internally and so my partner can look to me and go great i can soften into my feminine and i can allow you to now lead because i feel safe but for months in the last you know maybe even four or five months ago right she would i would be like let you know let me lead a lot lot of men come at it from this point of view which is like let me lead let me lead instead of just embodying the self-led man and then the partner will eventually look to you and go, oh, okay, you are safe. I can soften and I do trust you to lead. I was coming at it more from like, you need to soften. Like I'm the man, like I'm I'm the masculine man. You need to be the feminine and, and soften. And then she'd be like, okay, um, you're sitting on the couch and you're playing PlayStation for three hours. And then you get up and you eat ice cream and you're not really working <laughs> out. And how's business going? And we've got bills to pay. Are you on top of those? How, like and so that's the boy psychology that I was mentioning, and then so the integration and the upleveling of that was I took myself through even just small little ceremonies, right? Like I love my PlayStation, and and it was like fuck, I need this is not this is not part of my life anymore. Like this is not where I want to be. This isn't where I want to go. There's no part for this in my life. And so what I did was I had like one little, I had one last night with it. My partner went into the bedroom. I sat out here till like 2, 3 a.m. And then when it was done, it was in the closet. I haven't taken it out since. And it was a ceremony. It was like a little rites of passage in itself yeah, yeah. to take that and put it away. And now it's gone. And it's like, great. I've integrated my boy psychology in that area of my life. Ah, I love that. And like, it kind of shows like when you want to like make that jump from boy psychology to man psychology, there needs to be some sort of like maybe sacrifice or some sort of you know like you have to actively try to do something to get rid of it i know for myself even in the last uh few months i've uh definitely seen a lot of a growth in myself and i think a lot Mm. of it came from giving up marijuana which i used to smoke like pretty much every day i never did it like all the time but uh, Mm. like i i would just smoke a little bit every day just because like i'm a comedian that used to help me write and it just used to like be kind of part of my daily routine 
but since I uh, got rid of that, I've definitely noticed a change and just, yeah, like how you were saying, like you kind of lead yourself from the inside. And yeah. it's true. I like how you said when you're le- being that leader from the inside, from yourself out, you, your like wife can now look at you and like she can actually sense that like, oh, this person is like actually being that leader and she can just like you can't do that when you're actively trying to be like, hey, I'm I'm the leader. Like no one takes that person seriously. And it's coming through insecurities that you're saying that shit, right? Definitely 100 percent. You know, it does come from that place of like, oh, I need to tell her to follow me because if I don't tell her, she's not going to. And any good leader will tell you it's through being just a, uh, it's through being a leader that people will follow you, not through telling people that you are a leader in any area. Mm-hmm. Right. And so even in the confines of a relationship, it's like, all I need to do is I just need to, I need to take full responsibility for myself, full responsibility for how I'm showing up. And once I do that, then the other things will fall into place like they're meant to. Mm-hmm. no i really like that um all right man let's uh let's talk about that like with the young men that you deal with these days like what kind of like uh issues do they usually come to like what where do you find men like when they come to you like what like where, where are they at usually mm. they're they're struggling a lot with confidence mental health and the main main two you know uh mental illnesses that i work with is depression and anxiety um and purpose is big a lack of purpose a lack of direction but underlying all of that the biggest issue i see young men facing today and i and it's a complicated reason as to why and i and i'd love to dive into why but the biggest rate biggest thing that they're struggling with is um their ability to step into challenge and to step into fear and to step into adversity that's probably the biggest thing that they're they're struggling with now and in today's world is that again they're not wanting to take responsibility they're not wanting to step up they're not wanting to do anything that is outside of their comfort zone and a big part of that too is what the um, government restrictions over the last couple of years did to so much of the youth was it kept everyone really isolated kept everyone inside and two years of that at a key developmental phase in your life, it's going to have massive effects on your yeah. confidence, your social anxiety, you, what your comfort zone looks like. So it, it is a complicated reason as to why, but that's the biggest thing that I'm noticing now is, oh, we're, we're, we're way worse off now than we were in the middle of the pandemic um, and at the start of the pandemic. Mm, yeah, damn, that's uh, kind of sad to hear. And I, I can kind of see how men not wanting to like step into fear or step into like being that courageous self i can see how like a rite of passage helps men with that because like when you if you are like doing something that's like that you're kind of forced to step into that it makes regular life a lot easier to step into those Mm. places of responsibility and courage or uh, step past fear which like fear is just a part of life we're always going to feel fear right yeah hundred percent hundred percent and and you know it's funny because because I'm so in the men's space and paying attention to these conversations so much the biggest conversation that is out there on a societal level is this idea of male dominance is this idea of the patriarchy is this idea of men oppressing 
women and oppressing society. <clears throat> and society's got a lot of fucking issues. I'm not going to be a massive opponent for where we are in society. <laughs> we're, we're really struggling. We're the, we're, the, we're the sickest we've ever been, right? But is that because of the, the patriarchy or because of men? No, right? And we look at we go, well, how are men really doing? Most people in prison are men. Most people on the street are men. Most victims of violent crime are men. Most people who commit suicide are men. People who do worse in school are men. Men who die today die six years younger than women on average. Uh, in Australia, boys and men account for three in five avoidable deaths. The leading cause of death in Australian males in, uh, I think it was 2016, was coronary heart disease, which now kills 30 men a day in Australia. Um I think about 54% of all new cancer cases in Australia will be men. Um, and the, the, uh, the rate for men being diagnosed with cancer before their 85th birthday is one in two, one in two, um, you know, two in five men have experienced violence um, after they've turned 15, uh, you know, and I could go on and, and on and on. Like we're, we're really not, doing well at all you know one in two men will experience a mental health problem at some point in their lives in australia there's nine suicides every day seven of which are men so i'm grossly offended by the the statement the patriarchy and men are oppressing and doing all these things no 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 we're not we're fucking in the trenches alongside the women like we have been since the beginning of time Right, mm. we, it's been a difficult path humanity has taken, and we are still struggling. And in terms of those statistics I've given you, we're the worst we've ever been. We might be the most comfortable, but with that comfort has come so much more disease, so much more disease with that comfort. Yeah, no, I can understand that. Yeah, those are actually some pretty rough statistics. Uh, I don't know a few of those. Um, yeah, especially when it comes to disease and stuff. Uh, I can see that too. Like the more stress you kind of put on your body, uh, I can understand that. Um, mm. So what do you kind of think about like when they uh, you hear like terms like toxic masculinity and stuff like that? Uh, do you, could you see that like as a thing? And then like, is there a way to like make toxic masculinity into like a more positive masculinity? Yeah, I mean, I, I never use the term and and there's a few reasons for that. Firstly, I don't like using any blanket term that can be interpreted in a million different ways, right? If you and I have a 60-minute conversation on it and you say, well, I use it and this is what I mean, I'll probably be like, yeah, I agree with your definition, right? Mm -hmm. That's okay. But I don't know what Jim down the road means. I don't know what Sarah on the internet means. I don't know what Sally on the news means when she says it. I have an idea of what those people mean and I don't <laughs> like their idea of it, but I just don't know. So I don't like using blanket terms that are buzzwords that, that I, I actually don't know what you're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't use it for that reason. I don't because... <clears throat> Um, the goal of it, at least at the start, it, and and my opinion is it certainly isn't the goal right now when using this term, but the goal at the start was, okay, we want to hold men accountable to their actions. We want men to start showing up and we want what's best for a man. That's mm -hmm. essentially what it was born out of. Great. I'm all on board with that. But when I, when people use toxic masculinity, the majority of men go walls up, 
like, oh, what's what's this toxic masculinity? What do you, what's going on here? What do you, what do you mean? What's happening? You know, and the walls come up because it's like this attack on me. Are you attacking me? What's going on? Back to my first point. I don't know what you mean. Walls come up, uh-huh. and even for myself, I've been working this space for about four years. Even I hear that term, and I'm like, mm, okay, what's happening here? What do you, what do you, where are you getting at? What's what, what are you trying to say? You know, and so that's not having the de- the desired outcome then right? If our desired outcome was, we need men in this conversation and this term takes a lot of men out, then it's not working. So we should change. That's, our a, that's now, a great point. You can make an argu- yeah. So you can make the argument, well, men just need to um, get used to the term and maybe you've got a point there, but again, let's just skip the fucking term altogether and let's just bring men into the conversation because that's what we need. And you've admitted that that's what we need. Right. And so, the the reason I think that the wall goes up and is this, what am I meant to do with toxic? Like anything toxic, what do we do? We go and we put it in a compound somewhere far away. We quarantine it off. We have to wear hazmat suits whenever we're near it. It's toxic. Mm-hmm. There's no part of masculinity that is toxic. There's no part of my psyche that is toxic because we know that anything that we treat that way just comes back to bite us down the track five years later 10 years later and much worse mm-hmm. and so what we need to do is i the language that i use is wounded masculinity unhealed okay. masculinity right oh okay what can i do with wounds oh i can heal those i can look at my wounds and i can go okay let's put some some band-aids on this or let's let's do a surgery here or let's figure out how to heal these wounds in my masculinity so mm-hmm. that, and then, and then I, I think that discharges the conversation. I think it brings men into the conversation. And, and lastly, the reason I don't use it is because there's very little conversations about positive masculinity, very few conversations about, po- it's all not, not toxic masculinity. That's the only, you hear masculinity in the news preceding is toxic. And so for multiple, multiple reasons, that's bad. Multiple, multiple, but I'll bring it back to my work with young men. If the only thing I'm associating masculinity with is toxic, what's that teaching me as a young man that my masculinity is bad? Mm-hmm. So I, I, I talk about it now, at least now in the last, and I'll be conservative in the last two years, but I think longer, five years, it's been a directed attack on men. It's been an attack on masculinity. And I can't see, and I try to be as, neutral and calm level-headed as i can be but i can't see it as any other way anymore and it is an attack on masculinity and so we need to say boy no hey it's good to be masculine it's good to be a man and it's necessary to be a man because that's what you are you can't disassociate what you are in your being again back to the collective unconscious and the archetypes these are in our operating, it'd be like telling a lion not to be a lion. Don't chase that gazelle. It's like, mm. hang on, that's what that's what we're meant to do. We're meant to be these things. And then the conversation should follow on is what are these things? How should we be showing up as a man? What does positive masculinity look like? What does healthy masculinity look like? And having these conversations after this baseline has been established. That's great. Uh, honestly, I love how you said that. And I love the I love the way of like reframing it to say like wounded masculinity or unhealed masculinity, because that's exactly true. Because I've actually, yeah, you're right. I've seen people who say stuff like toxic masculinity and then they they're kind of talking about 
you know, they're talking about like competitiveness or like certain types of aggression, which are normal. And especially younger people grow up, younger men growing up and the whole way you uh, properly, properly like grow that masculinity Mm. into a healthy form is to find a way how to like, you know, use it in a healthy way, like use your aggression in a healthy way when it's needed and using it for good rather than having that aggression take over you. And then you can, Mm. And like, honestly, that's what like a lot of this, like, kind of toxic masculinity talk I've seen. It has done that. I've seen men kind of go away from that, uh, from their aggression side or their competitive side. And they go into that kind of weak art archetype you were talking about. But but that aggression and shit is still in there. And then when it Mm. comes out, it comes out in a more nasty way. And like, we see that a lot in... uh, you know, we see that a lot in society right now and some of the, like the disgusting violence we see. Yeah. So like, well, I... the, that's so true because the, the, the horrible acts of violence that we, we see is all the repressed emotions that we haven't felt or dealt with. And we've these aspects of ourselves that we've repressed and pushed away. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's, and for some men, that is their masculinity. They're like, okay, I want to be a good person. And everyone's saying it's toxic and all these things. So they're, they're playing off of people's natural goodwill to be good people. And so they're like, oh, well, if I can push all this shit down and rah, 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 and I'll be the nice guy and I'll be the good boy. And then all of a sudden, bang, they snap and it just comes out in this, in this, in this unintegrated way. And it's really dangerous mm-hmm. because of that. Instead of, as you mentioned, integrating these emotions. Uh, integrating anger, finding healthy outlets for um, their aggression, because we have it. Like we we, we have testosterone. Yeah, right? we have high levels of testosterone, which drive these more masculine traits that have served us for thousands of years. It allowed us to become the apex predators of the world, right? And so we can't just get rid of it. We can't just remove it. I was on a I was on an Instagram live a few months ago and I didn't know what I was getting myself into. Some company reached out to me. I was like, all right, I'll jump on it. It was a panel about masculinity. And and I kind of realized towards the end, I was like, oh, these people hate masculinity. And one of the guys said on the thing, because I just spoke about like masculine, I was like, masculinity is good. Like people don't even understand that, thinking that I was speaking to an audience that was like, yeah, 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 it is. And then the other speaker goes, I completely disagree. There's nothing good about masculinity. And this was my first um, real life exchange with someone with that ideology. Cause I'd seen it. I'd seen it. I'd seen it, but I was like, that can't be common. That can't be that I've never experienced. And then I experienced it and I was like, Oh, okay. There are actual people out here. And he was a writer on masculinity. He, he worked for a, 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 he was a journalist. And I go, mm. your belief system is founded in there's nothing. You might as well just say all men should die. Like that, you might as well say that. <laughs> because if there's nothing good about masculinity, then we are so far apart in the conversation. I don't even know how to breach that gap to, to come to some middle ground. If you can't even... And then, and then what that says about himself, his relationship with himself, his relationship with his own masculinity, what must be going on internally for him. And I'm kind of rambling here a little bit, but one thing that I talk about, which is so important for everyone, is picking your role models appropriately. And for the first time in history, you and I, where are you right now? I'm like in, in Toronto. So you're in Toronto. I'm in, I'm in Hawaii. First time in the world, you and I can actually get 
from wide trying to like see each other's faces and communicate and do these things. First time in his human history we've been able to do this. And how that relates to role modeling is for the first time in history, I no longer have just the people in my proximity that I look to for advice. I now have anyone online. I, uh-huh. Anyone online can give me advice. And if I'm a young man, I can be taking advice from the wrong people or, or a young girl from the wrong people. Adults take good advice from the wrong people now. So my biggest thing that I try to drive home is you really need to know someone or you start taking advice from them. Because to link it back to what I was talking about before, this guy's talking about masculinity is bad. I can guarantee you he has poor mental health. I can guarantee you he's not doing well in life. I guarantee you. I guarantee he's not fulfilled. He's not happy. So why would I listen to anything someone who doesn't have the things that I want says? Mm-hmm. So we have to be so careful about where we're getting our advice from. You know, and so one of the big pieces of my work and what I try to do my best on my social media and in these podcasts is I try my best to talk about my worst moments. I try my best to talk about my darkest struggles, my my worst days that I have worked through and integrated. And with that, it's like, okay, you get a fuller picture of Dylan. Dylan's not just some guy living in Hawaii, living the life and, and you know, preaching these things. It's like, nah, man, I've struggled hard hard i'll and i will continue to struggle in my future like i'm i've got i know that i've got dark days in front of me you know and what that's why i'm preparing myself today for those days so that i can overcome them and so i'm a big big opponent on like be careful of who you listen to man because you don't know what's going yeah he might have a ferrari but he might be going home and crying himself to sleep every night yeah a hundred percent that's a good piece of advice and like you said like we are men, we have testosterone going through our body. And that, especially when you're young and you're uh, going through those like uh, puberty years, you have so much testosterone going through your body and that will give you certain traits. It's just scientifically proven to. Mm. And like, you're right. We were coming into a time where a lot of people are demonizing those traits when, when we should be learning to express those traits in a better more positive way that's the reason sports is so yeah. great for us is because and a lot i know you used to play sports i'm the same way like in high school and stuff i've had no issues with mental health or no issues with anything because i played sports all the time mm. it got my aggression out it got my competitiveness out and it got my leadership out it got all of those things that my masculinity was craving out and it was really good for me when I went to university after that, I kind of lost a lot of that stuff. And um, that's kind of slowly in the next like five to like seven years, I was kind of like not knowing where I was. And I did have like a lot of that being just way too much of a nice guy. I wasn't, I couldn't talk to people properly. I didn't assert myself. I didn't have a lot of those, ma- I kind of lost a lot of my masculinity mm-hmm which I ended up gaining back years later. And it was through a rite of passage, which I, when I started trying ayahuasca, that was like a a thing for me where it's like, I went to the jungle. I went out into nature for a week. I tried this thing with like uh, tribal people and it really showed me my masculinity and it started developing that in a more positive way. Mm. So I I really do uh, like how you say that. And I I want to stress that point to people. It's like, don't demonize masculinity. Let's find healthier ways to express it because it's there naturally and demonizing Mm. only results in repression, which, which will always come out worse over time. Like that's where you get 
I don't want to just say like school shootings or shit like that, but like that's where you get violence in the future mm. from repressed emotion. And you can see violence from people who look so goddamn timid or they might just stay at home all the time. And then all of a sudden they break out because yeah. they're repressing all these like all these emotions, which you can't do. Mm. Well, you, and you see that in the, in, in the archetype of the weakling is the weakling can only assert power and dominance through unhealthy forms of aggression. It's the only way because they're weak and they think they're, and they, they have this knowing that they're weak. And so it comes out in these ways that are really detrimental to society. And so the solution to that is strong men because it takes strong men to stand up to these weak men, right? If you had to have a society of weak men, we're fucked. We're fucked. You need strong, healthy, integrated, masculine men. And and why, Dylan? Okay, if we didn't have that in the past, you and I would be speaking in German right now. Right? <laughs> that's simple as that. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> so we, if it wasn't for masculinity, you and I would be speaking German right now. Okay. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. So we can't just throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Yes, there are elements that we need men to step up and take responsibility. Again, all those statistics I just list before, men are struggling. We're not doing very well. But uh -huh. by shaming them, you're making it worse. By saying, hey, here is a group of men who are leading. Here is what it means to be a man. Here is healthy forms of masculinity. Let's prop these people up as much as we can so that we can help the next generation of men. We can heal the current generation of men so that more and more leaders step up so that we can then lead the next generation. And only through that will we progress into a better society where these statistics that I mentioned start to lower. Where I'm, you know, I, I spoke about this on another podcast. We're living in an era where the mental health conversation is the number one conversation at the moment, right? It is uh -huh. so prevalent. Why, why is our mental health not improving? I thought it was because there was stigma, right? I thought it was the stigma that was killing us. No, that wasn't the case. It wasn't this stigma, right? And so we've been talking about it for 10, 15, 20 years and we're getting worse. Uh -huh. So we need to address why. I thought it was, we told men they couldn't open up and, We've, we've been telling them for 15, 20 years, what's going on? Okay, is our messaging wrong? What's happening here? We need to understand why we're not getting healthier as a society. No, oh, 100%. Um, so you were saying like you like to share about your own struggles. So maybe let's kind of talk about that. Uh, hmm. Where where was were you when you came out of like high school? And like what were the struggles that you went through to kind of go from that boy psychology into the man psychology? Hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I think... I've got like three, I think it's three painful, pivotal, powerful moments in my life. And one, the most painful moment in my life was my high school girlfriend slept with my best friend and cheated on me. And that by far was the most painful thing that ever happened to me. And I say it, I say it by far is because of the repercussions, oh, sorry, the it was because I take full responsibility for my actions post that, but just the snowball effect that that had on me because I didn't address it. I didn't want to heal that wound and I just wanted to shove it down and say that I was fine and drink and fuck myself um, and numb myself uh, to a healthier place. And that doesn't work at all. Mm. And so 
when my girlfriend cheated on me with my best friend, it was like that whole week I was like, I kind of like disassociate. I was just like, I'd go to uni and I'd just be like sitting there and I'd leave and I'd come home and then I'd go drinking with my mates and I'd come home and I'd go to sleep. And then I'd, and so that week was really numbed out for me. I didn't, couldn't stay in my body and feel, and I didn't cry much. I didn't experience my emotions, but the, the effect from that onwards was I then kept everyone at arm's distance because I was so afraid of that pain, so afraid of that hurt. So what I did was in every relationship, I cheated. Every relationship I got into, I would cheat because now if the worst thing possible happened, which is you cheat on me, I'm going to be okay because I've already done that to you. Uh. And so I'll be fine. And so I protected myself. It was this, it was this suit of armor that was really a sword that hurt everyone that got close to me. And, and it hurt myself as well because then I developed this belief system that I'm a bad person and this is just the way that I am and I'm just a bad person and I'm destined for all this shit to keep happening in my life. And it's funny, you mentioned ayahuasca. It wasn't until last year that I sat in ayahuasca that I was able to actually heal those wounds. And I'd been trying for years, like therapy and different coaches and trying all these things. And I had this deep core wound that I was, that I was on the most deepest level unlovable and that I was just an absolute piece of shit. And it took me sitting with ayahuasca to be shown and healed that, no, you are worthy of love and you've just made these mistakes and you have to heal this and forgive yourself and now move on and be the better man that you know you can be. And so that was definitely just, and that was when I was 18, it happened. And last year I was 27, right? (laughs) So it took me nine years of fucking trying or probably not nine because those first few years, I definitely wasn't trying to heal. I was just, as I said, I was just drinking and, and fucking and, and those were my two outlets for my pain, trying to numb myself. And, and it wasn't until, as I said, that I started to really do the work. And then it wasn't until I washed that I was able to go, ha, huh, I am worthy of love. Okay. <laughs> yeah, ayahuasca does do that. Uh, yeah. It does have a tendency to do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so what else then was, uh, you said there was three time mm. moments there. Yeah. Um, you'll notice that there's a bit of a theme around women. <laughs> in my <laughs> life. So then when I was 20 years old, I went through another bad, bad breakup with my partner at the time. And it was just messy. And there was, there was a bunch of other things going on in the, in the relationship that, that I'll keep private. But at, after that breakup, again, I did not want to sit with my emotions. I didn't want to heal what I'd gone through. I didn't want to grieve the relationship. I just wanted to get on with it, right? So I think that time I had one night, I remember calling my dad, having a cry, and then getting on with it the next day, moving on. I think I went to the gym and posted like an Instagram, like like, like a motivational post on Instagram or something. And so six months of just bad behaviors, bad habits, right? I drank myself stupid for six months. I was eating horrible food, take out every meal. I stopped meditating. I stopped working out, stopped um, journaling, just all these things that kept me in a really good place. And and I built a really strong foundation on went away. And so six months of these, just, as I said, bad habits, I found myself unable to get out of bed for a week. And it was that time. And I was 20 years old. I go, okay, this isn't a hangover anymore. That's not why I'm feeling bad. There's something else here. I need to go see a psychologist. And so I put my hand up went to see a psychologist and that's when he diagnosed me with depression and anxiety disorder. And 
from that, two feelings kind of arose. One, okay, great. I'm aware of a problem that I can start to address and I can start to fix because without awareness, you can't address anything. You're not aware of it, right? Mm-hmm. And secondly, like a lot of shame. You know, I come from a very good family. I come from a very good upbringing. I come from very fortunate circumstances. And so for me, it was like, what the fuck do you have to be depressed and anxious about, Dylan? What the fuck? And again, that self-deprecating attitude and self-deprecating self, uh, self-talk and having to come to terms with that and go, okay, what's mental illness? What's going on here? What's happening? And that's been, that's a continual journey for me, right? I'm always learning more about that. And I'm always learning more about myself and how my mental illness flares up and how it, how I can stay on top of it. And so one thing that I, I say now is no wonder I got to a place of depression and anxiety because look at what I was doing day in, day out. Like look at my habits, look at my lifestyle. Anyone, you put anyone, you put the healthiest person in that lifestyle and eventually they'll be depressed and anxious. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, as I said, the, the addressing of the shame though was another interesting journey post out of like, huh, I feel really bad about, me feeling bad (laughs) (laughs) you know um and having to heal that and 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 address that and realize that i am human that um i'm having a human experience and so how can i improve my human experience yeah that's really nice man um and i like how you always uh kind of like bring up the same idea of learning to actually sit with your emotions and actually process it. I think that's a big thing that ayahuasca teaches you too. It's like ayahuasca will bring those emotions up and force, force you to sit with them. And that's why it can be overwhelming sometimes, but Mm. that's really the only way you allow it to heal because like we talked about before, if you're not aware of your emotions and you're not, um, yeah, if you're not aware of them and you're not letting them be and like observing them, you're going to repress them and they're going to mm. still be there and they're going to manifest themselves in like worse ways at the end of the day. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And I think there's a, there's a famous quote, all, all of all of man's problems lie in his inability to sit in a room alone with his thoughts. Yeah. And like, yeah, just sit silently. And it, it's true. Um, And like, that's why meditation and mindfulness can be very, like, good habits to have mm. on a daily basis, because yeah. at the end of the day, you will sit with them. And when you do have large emotions, you'll eventually they will eventually will show themselves and you can deal with them. And it's not easy work. No one's saying it's easy, but yeah. it's uh necessary. <laughs> And modern society is not setting ourselves up. Like if you had to create a sick society, this is the society you would create. Like if you mm. deliberately set out to create a society of sick people, this is a society you would set up. Because I was, I, was, I was reading something the other day, like we're way, 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 way busier now than we were 200, 300 years ago. Oh, years. easily, yeah. Like all we would do is we would go out, we would get food and we'd come back to the tribe and we'd kind of, survey all right we're safe cool and then we just spend the whole day hanging out in nature in the sun with our kids with the community just having fun and enjoying ourselves like that was the majority of our time and how it was spent and then as we've modernized our culture it's now okay 40 hour work week in a cubicle on a screen no wow okay and you're wondering why you're stressed and anxious and depressed 
and I'm not saying quit your jobs, move to an island and start a, start your own community. I mean, that's what I plan on doing eventually. But it's like, what are you doing outside of that 40-hour work week? You know, how well are you taking care of yourself? How well are you, are you how, how often are you getting into nature? How often are you getting sun? How often are you just drinking water? How often are you having just nutritious meals that you're cooking for yourself? How often are you spending time alone in your thoughts, journaling, reading, meditating? You know, these things are so useful for our mental well-being. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you have to get those. Yeah, I know, man. Honestly, I've uh, I've had like that where I've slipped on those uh, um, those things myself. And honestly, pretty much all the habits that you're talking about are the exact ones that keep me level-headed as well. And I- I've slipped on them before. And it's always the exact same process of slipping, mm. going down a little bit of a rabbit hole, like my anxiety and depression kick up. And then until I realize, hey, like go back to those like yeah. habits that always kind of bring me back to where I need yeah. to be. And it's funny because then also when we're doing well, it, it's like, it's like, okay, we're here at this baseline. Oh, and I want to feel better. So I'll do all these really good habits. Oh, I'm feeling good. So I don't need to do the habits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then we fall it's, back in and we're like, uh, oh, shit, oh, shit yeah. I need to feel better. Okay, bring the habits back. So I, I went, like my last 12 months has been like the biggest trial by fire. You know, like I have sat in some heavy stuff. As I mentioned, I did an ayahuasca journey. Uh, I've done a bunch of internal work. I've had to... Uh, I met my partner last year, then month later, we're pregnant. Now we've got a son, you know, fast track 10 months. Now we've got a son. And so I've been sitting in the fire and I look back and I go, just the other day, I said to my partner, I'm like, man, the last 12 months have been fucking hard. And she's like, it it has, it has been hard. I go, but I have never felt like the overwhelm or the depression or the anxiety that I had felt early on in my life. Mm. And I go, why is that? And it goes, okay, I've meditated pretty much every single day in the last 12 months. I reckon I've missed maybe six days. Okay. Interesting. I've journaled probably, I would say every day, I would say I've journaled once every three days as an average. Mm. Okay, hmm, that's way more than I used to journal. I've exercised once every two days, once every three days for the mm-hmm. past 12 months. Okay, that's a change. I've read and learned and worked with coaches more than I ever have in the last 12 months. So we we overcomplicate things as human. How do I feel better? How do it's like you know what you need to do? You just don't want to do it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I've dude, like I've slipped up so many fucking times and and gone down the rabbit hole and felt bad and and all these things that you just mentioned. I've been there and it fucking you're like, why am I doing this? Why, why don't why do I stop? Why do I why, why, why? And I think as long as you're asking those questions, you'll eventually find the answers that you're after and things will start to change. It's when you're not even asking the questions that you're in for a world of pain. When you're not even saying, Oh, why am I feeling a bit stressed today? Or huh, why am I why have I gone a week without working out? Like, what am I afraid of? Or what am I avoiding? Mm. Okay. Huh. Okay. That's interesting. As long as you're asking those questions, eventually you will get out of whatever pit you're in, whatever hole you're in, whatever place you're in right now, eventually you'll get out of it and you will find more discipline, better habits, more consistency, 
more fulfillment as long as you're asking the questions and then trying to action them. You will eventually. It might take you 10 years, especially if you don't have a coach or someone helping you along the way. It might take you a long time, but eventually you'll get there. It's the people that just never ask the questions that will just stay exactly where they are for the rest of their lives. Mm. Oh, that's a good point. All right, man. That was uh, that. Thanks so much for sharing, man. Uh, I only got one more question. It's the name of the podcast. So yep. uh, Dylan Roos, God, yay or nay? Yay, brother. Yay. I think, um, oh man, definitely like I already believed in God, but but after the ayahuasca experience, it was like, how can you not believe in God after sitting in that, you know? So, um, definitely, man. I think there's a bit of a association with Christianity, with God, I feel. And so for me, it's not necessarily a Christian God. I do lean a little bit on the Christian side in terms of like, I, I've, I'm like, oh yeah, I believe in I believe that Jesus was a person and I believe that God is a person or, or not a person, but a, a being, but you know, I'm pretty um, fluid in my interpretations of man. Cause that's kind of how I look at it. I go, I really believe in this divine being and divine power, but everything we have is in the realm of man and man's interpretation and accounts written by man. So I'm very much like, okay, well, this is all what men is saying that God said, so, okay, let's use some discernment and, and figure out what's really going on. But I definitely believe in a higher power. Um, whatever he, she, they are called. Um, I'm not sure, but uh, yeah, I definitely uh, believe in him or yeah, believe in God. <laughs> All right. Thanks, man. I uh, appreciate this. Uh, honestly, that was such a fun podcast. Uh, let my audience know where they can find you. Um, anything you want to promote, uh, let them know now. Yeah. Um, yeah, they can find me on any social media platform. I'm pretty much across them all now. Uh, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube. I'm across everything now. Um, Dylan Ruse, D-Y-L-A-N dot R-O-O-S. That's my Instagram handle. And then uh, to get in contact with me, you can reach out to me on any of those platforms. My website's dylanroosecoaching.com. Uh, and then, yeah, if you have a young man in your life that you'd like to give him some mentoring, some guidance, I have multiple programs now um, at different price points. I've got one-on-one -on -one mentoring, group coaching, uh, online courses. So just check out my website, reach out to me. Uh, we can jump on a call, discuss your son, how I can best support him or, or the young man in your life and how I can best support him. All right, man. Uh, thank you so much for doing this, buddy. Thank you, brother. All right. That was another episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please like and subscribe to the podcast. Give it a good rating. That always helps. And share it with like-minded people. I really do appreciate that. You can check me out at NewerKidY on Instagram. Or check out my website, newerkidy.com. You can see my comedy. You can see my comedy dates that are coming up and all that other information. We're part of the comedy here often, Podcast Network on 604 Records. But I'll see you next time on another episode of God Yay or Nay.